Welcome, good morning. Let's stand and worship together. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my
Father, we worship you today. We cease our busyness. We try to focus our thoughts on you in this hour. We worship you, Father. We don't do this for anyone else. We recognize you are mighty God, Savior, friend. We pledge our allegiance to you. We pledge, Father, to follow you with our lives. In faith, we ask for the gift of faith. Help us to be strong and honor you. And Father, we ask that this worship would please you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And good morning from Kid Street as well. It's good to see you all today. I've got a little something here. So, I've got some water there. What do you think is going to happen if I put this in the water? Yeah, it's a cork. It's going to float, right? You know, there's a little story about a cork that was floating in the ocean. And it was bobbing with the waves and the waves would crash over it and it would go under the water and then pop back up. Then a whale came by and saw it bobbing on the surface, hit it with its tail, went way underwater. You know what it did? Popped back up. And the whale was like, hmm, I think I'll try and sink that again. And it jumped up in the air and it landed on the cork and sunk it all the way down in the water. And you know what happened? It popped right back up. So, its friends saw the whale playing with the cork, and they all gathered around, and they all took turns grabbing the cork and floating it all the way down the water and trying to sink it. And all of his friends did the same thing. The cork did what? Popped right back up. Yeah. Pastor Kevin's sermon is about not giving up. So all the whales said, how come we can't sink you, cork? And the cork said, I'm not made of the stuff that sinks. Yeah, it's made of cork. You guys knew cork doesn't sink. What are we made of? You know, we're children of God, right? There's something in the cork that helps it stay afloat. We can't see it. It's full of air pockets, right? There's some things that we're made of we can't see. We're made of God's Holy Spirit, right? Dwelling within us. We're made of the love that Jesus showed us. We're made of faith and hope. Things that we can't see like forgiveness, Right? Being children of God means we don't sink. He never gives up on us. And I've got a little scripture here for you. In Galatians 6, verse 9, got to read over my mask here. It says, So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing. If we don't give up. So sometimes it's hard to do the right thing all the time, right? Sometimes we have to ask for forgiveness. Is God going to say, oh, nope, three strikes and you're out. Sorry, not going to forgive you anymore. You should have done better. No, he loves us. We're his children, right? So the Bible says don't ever give up trying to do good, 
right? So I've got a little person here for each of you. You can test out if they float at home, okay? It's got the scripture on the side. And you can, uh, you know, decorate them to look like you. You know, give them some hairdos or some clothes, right? There's some markers in your Bible bags if you want to do that, okay? So you can take one of these after we pray. And then we'll worship the Lord that doesn't give up on us. Dear Lord, we thank you for your everlasting love for not giving up on us, for loving us no matter what. We ask that you give us the strength, the faith to continue to try and do your will and show others the love that you have shown us. In Jesus' name, amen. Continue to worship together. Our Father everlasting, the all-created one, God Almighty. Through your Holy Spirit, conceiving Christ the Son, Jesus our Savior.
Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the many things that we just take for granted every day. Father, we ask now that you be with the sick and the lonely and those, Father, that have fallen away from you. Help us this week, Father, to be patient. Help us to look for the good in people instead of the bad. We ask now that you take these tithes and offerings and use them in the way that you see fit. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you, Michelle. Open your Bibles with me this morning. Ephesians, I mean, I'm, excuse me, Revelation chapter 2. The church at Thyatira continuing to go through our series, the seven churches. Revelation chapter 2. You can see we'll be looking at verses 18 through 29. Jesus encouraging a good church to not give up. As you found already, these churches were not perfect churches. You'd think that... What they would do, they being God and others, would show us the image of a perfect church and how we are supposed to be like them. And unfortunately, there is no such thing as a perfect church. Because you know why? Because we are the church. And we got problems. And even if you're perfect, the person next to you has problems, right? And we know those things. So we're going to look at this church in Thyatira and see how they had problems. And interestingly enough... Very similar to modern churches, people good and bad, sometimes obedient, oftentimes disobedient, sometimes disobedient to the point of apathy. They don't even know they're disobedient. So we'll go looking at that today. As always, we pray, pray for our church, pray for our people, for Nick and Renee. I saw Nick just a couple of days ago, and talked as if he might be going home soon. In fact, is that day he was planning on going home. I don't know if he made it, but uh, he was thinking he was going to go home. A rough lesson from Nick and Renee Morris. On TV, we are used to people getting shot up all the time, and they go home in just a couple of days, and that's not real life. When you're shot, you are wounded forever. So pray for them as they consider major changes to their lives because of this incident. Pray for them. Also, we have Glee Callan, special guest. Good to see you back, Glee. Back from Texas for a while. Good. Got her Texas traveler with her. Good to see you again. So we're always glad to see her. I'll give you a few moments to pray. I'll close and we'll look at this passage together. Would you bow with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your presence, for this life we have. We thank you. You have enabled us to live in a time and in a place where we are free. We have food and comfort and shelter. We are safe. We have a stable government. We can trust our leaders. We have good policemen. Thank you, Father. We thank you especially for the life that we have in Jesus, for the freedoms that we have to worship you here, for this faith that encourages us and challenges us, gives us strength, gives us hope. Thank you. Thank you for the gift of faith, for your spirit which dwells within, for your word which teaches us and guides us and challenges us. 
You are a loving Father, and thank you. Father, we pray this morning that you would be with us. Hear our words of praise. We lift up those we've mentioned, struggle with this life. Give them comfort and hope. Provide healing where that is needed. Where death is imminent, give them comfort. Comfort the family. Father, our leaders are in new positions. Guide and direct them. Give them wisdom, Father. The wisdom to do bold things, but things that will not alienate so many. We pray, Father, that we as a people would stand together. We understand we are a flawed nation. Help us. Help us to follow your leadership. And regardless, Father, of the decisions made, help us to stand together as a people. You have blessed us as a people. Help us to honor you. We pray for our soldiers, our first responders, the doctors, for this nation as we struggle against the pandemic. We pray for wisdom there. We pray for your healing. Help us, Father, to not get so concerned for now that we forget what is coming. Again, Father, we thank you for this life. Teach us from your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I was in school, and I remember I went to preacher school, so there were 600 know-it-all preachers in one big place, if you can imagine that. It's quite an experience. Every day we went to class and had these retired ministers, many of them, who had to face a class of yet another arrogant know-it-all preachers, like me and others. You know, it's amazing how much you know when you're 18. One day in class, the professor was talking. This was a preaching theology class, teaching us essentially how to not just be a pastor, but how to survive as pastor. And he said, I'm going to tell you straight right now, the fact that a guy has a title in your church doesn't mean anything. There will be people in your church that have titles, and they will be without power. And then there will be people who have no title, and you may not even have them on any committee, but they'll be in charge. And he said, it won't take you long to figure out who those people are. And that old preacher was right. I had to learn. Now, when I came out of school, I knew everything, of course. I'd read some books. Never been a pastor before. Never knew really about how churches got along. But I knew, I thought I knew, who was in charge. I went to one church, and everything was fine for some time. People came and went, and that's just the way things were. I'd been there for quite a while. And all of a sudden, literally all of a sudden, to me anyway, people were unhappy with me. Now, I couldn't imagine that, right? And I didn't know what I was doing wrong. I thought I was doing everything right, hadn't really heard anything. But I knew that all of a sudden it came upon me that people were really unhappy. And I heard through the grapevine that there was a group that wanted me fired. Now, a long time ago, this is quite a while ago, but still, to this day in some churches, preachers can be fired on a whim, somebody gets mad, and he's out, and I knew that. I had a wife and kids and all those things and bills to pay, etc., and so I was a little bit afraid. Being a young, type A driven person, I wanted to find out who was causing these problems. I wanted to confront them and have it out with them, preferably in a business meeting where it would be legitimate, and I was told by those, Kevin, just shut up. And this, they told me that. 
it was really uncomfortable for a while because these people were trying to get me fired. It never came to a church business meeting, one of those things, but it was obvious that there was a group fighting against me, and I was never really sure who it was or what the problems were. This went on for weeks. It was a miserable time in my life. And then one day it was over, just like that. And just as suddenly as it came, it went away. There was no special business meeting, no personnel committee meeting. As far as I knew, no meetings at all, but everything was fine. Made no sense to me, but I just went on about my business. When I don't know what to do, I just put my nose down and go to work, not knowing what else to do. Couldn't confront anyone, couldn't fix anything, so I just did my job. A year or two later, I found out what the story was. There was a family that got on my wrong side for I don't know why, never did really understand it, but they decided that they hated me, used those terms, they hated me, wanted to fire me, worked against me, and got quite a following. And then one day, there was an individual in the church, had no title, good guy, he stopped it. One simple conversation and it was over. Never was able to thank the man because it's secret, you know. But I found out that day that sometimes people with the most power and most influence may not have a title. You may not even know them very well or know what goes on inside their head, but they have power. I had to learn that that preacher in preaching class was correct. The fact that a guy doesn't have a title doesn't mean he isn't powerful. And Power is just one of those things that people assert. Some people try, others people do, and you know that. Leaders in a church can make a big difference, can't they? Sometimes they're elected leaders, people that you've chosen. Sometimes they're just people that work behind the scenes. Sometimes they're good folk, and sometimes they are evil. In that church, there was what I thought was a battle between good and evil, and in that instance... Good one. Leaders without titles make a difference. Leaders with titles make a difference. In the church at Thyatira, there was a leader with no title. Not a good person. She had power. Jesus talked about this person. Follow along with me if you would. Revelation 2, beginning at verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze, says this, I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things, sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent. She does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will cast her upon a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence. And all the children will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. And he who overcomes, and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. 
as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, and as I also have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thyatira was a nice town. Don't know the size. Good-sized town, though. 60, 70 people, 70,000 people probably. A manufacturing town. Remember, the last two towns have been kind of an upper-class place. This was, I guess this was the equivalent of Detroit. Not lower class, but just working class. Manufacturers. Lots of manufacturing was done. Almost like China. If you wanted something made, you went to Thyatira. Manufacturers, bakers, they made cloth, they made dyes, they dyed cloth. A lot of big money in Thyatira. Lots of unions. They called them guilds in ancient cultures, but they were just unions. With all that unions bring, worker security, increased wages, sometimes corruption, the influence of power and money. And all these things were just commonplace in Thyatira. It's just the way the city was. People had been there all their lives. The way things were was commonly known and accepted. The church was struggling simply because those elements of Thyatira had come into the church. Big money, union power, those things aren't necessarily bad, but they can be, can't they? And they had crept their ways into the church. And then Jezebel. You would never name your daughter Jezebel, would you? And you know why. You know, it's interesting. Historically, people name their children after someone positive. That's why if you get around the Hispanic community, lots of people named Jesus, Jesus. You'll never encounter a daughter, Jezebel, for all the obvious reasons. In the Old Testament, Jezebel was a prophetess of a pagan faith. She was immoral. She was ungodly. She was an enemy of the true prophets of God, and so on and so forth. And so when Jesus used the term here, Jezebel, her name probably wasn't Jezebel, but she was a Jezebel. So you need to have some understanding there. And one of the other things here that we have to remember is that when Jesus talked to the churches, he knew that churches were in large part a function of the communities in which they live. And so on screen you can see this first idea. The church must always be alert to the influences from outside the faith. The myth is that churches gather and they teach only Bible and everything about us is biblical and the pagan culture never makes inroads into the church and that simply has never been the case. The church is often a function of the culture. We take up characteristics of the culture, sometimes good, sometimes bad. It's why we dress as modern people instead of the Amish, right? And not to criticize the Amish, but they try to pattern themselves after an ancient culture, and we choose not to do that. We just prove, choose to dress like everybody else. So everything that you see in the culture makes its way into the modern church, for good or for ill. In our church, in our text, Jesus was talking about this Jezebel. Look at verse 20 again, if you would. I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. And she teaches and leads my bondservants astray. So the subtle clue there is, he talks about the woman Jezebel, which carries all those impl implications of immorality and pagan teaching. And it says she calls herself a prophetess. So she wasn't recognized as a prophetess necessarily in the church. She had no title, probably. She was just in the church. She professed Jesus. She said all the right words. She submitted to baptism, did all those things, and yet she called herself a prophetess. 
I have discovered, as have you, that the most dangerous people are those people who claim a special word from God. As did Jezebel. She claimed a special word. This is what, when you call yourself a prophet, that's what you're claiming. You have something special from God. So I'm always a little bit suspicious of people who call themselves prophets. Sometimes they're legitimate. Sometimes not. She was not. This was a good church. But she was bringing in a pagan element. What we can see here is that she was a member probably of the Nicolaitans. Remember that? theme has come up several times now in these letters to the churches. Remember, the Nicolaitans were this loosely knit group of pagans, people who practiced Christianity, but held on to pagan religious ideas, and they were all over the culture. And they were in every church, and they would collect and gather, and they would consider themselves superior, and they would bring false teachings into the church. And they were, they were good people. These were not evil, corrupt people who were horrible to be around. These were the beautiful people, sometimes well-moneyed people, oftentimes intelligent. And they would gain a following in the church because they were well-spoken and well-mannered and all those kinds of things. And so they were gaining influence. So in this church, where they were really doing pretty well. They were good, solid Christian people. One of these Nicolaitans, Jezebel, was there. She was teaching Pagan faith, Balak and Balaam and those kinds of things. And then immorality. The term Jezebel implies sexual immorality. And by the way, one key of a culture or a church that's struggling with Christianity is where they go with their sexuality. When groups of people get away from biblical-oriented sexual practices, that's an indicator of what's going on with them spiritually. And that's just the way it is, not necessarily a condemnation. But whenever people begin to reject biblical teachings on sexuality, it's an indicator of a much deeper problem. And so we always have to notice that. And you might keep that in mind as you watch our culture. We claim to be Christian, and yet there are so many practices of ours that are very pagan so even though the church was looking pretty good, as far as we know, the nickels and noses were up. And nickels and noses is how preachers measure churches. So when preachers get together, we talk about nickels and noses. Nickels is your offerings. Noses is your attendance. And that used to be a big thing with preacher groups when they got together. But in this church, she was teaching pagan teachings and sexual immorality that was not Christian. And she had been given a chance to repent, but she rejected that. Look at verse 21, if you would. Jesus speaking, I gave her time to repent. She does not want to repent of her immorality. So Jesus himself confronted this woman. Now, we don't know how that worked out. Either God sent his emissaries to talk to her, or Jesus appeared to her. We don't know. It doesn't really matter. I tried. She refused. So she said to God himself, no, I will not repent. So if you followed along in the passage, you can see that Jesus promised judgment to her and to her children. Her children were probably her followers. So just understand that. Jesus getting a not-so-subtle implication that when you reject God's leadership, you suffer the consequences. And when you reject God's leadership in the area of sexuality, well, look at our culture. And that's what you get. Sexually transmitted diseases, unwanted pregnancies, unlimited abortions, all those things. We think we've invented sexual immorality. Guys, this is old news. Old news. The culture in first century Thyatira was our culture. Nothing new under the sun, as the prophets say. So we have to remember that Jesus was challenging Christians to make sure that they were teaching and living Christian lives. 
The fact that they were good people and the fact that they were going to church was a good thing, but that wasn't all there is to it. There is a tendency to minimize Christian devotion. We say, and you'll hear these people say this, all you have to do is love Jesus and love God. Jesus said that himself. True, but if you minimize Christianity to just being nice to people and nice to God, you have eliminated much of what Jesus taught. Remember, the letters to the churches were by Jesus himself. So when Jesus is challenging Christians to pay attention to moral teachings and practices and the ethics of a culture, that's the words of Jesus. And it isn't an option. One preacher used to say, we, we look at the Bible like a buffet table. We pick what we want. And that really isn't an option for Christians. Jezebel was probably a nice enough lady, probably attractive, more than likely intelligent, one of the good people. But Jesus confronted her in her sin, and she said no. So a couple of things here. Godly teachings and lifestyles are as important as any other aspect of faith. In other words, you must not minimize your faith to where I believe the right things and I'm nice. That's the tendency. Jesus calls us to not just be hearers of the word, but doers. James said that. So we must follow Jesus' teachings on this. You don't get to pick and choose. And one of the reasons that the teachings of Scripture are so important is the source. They come from God himself. If you want to know what God wants you to believe, you read Scripture. If Scripture clearly teaches something, that is God speaking to you. And this is what God intended. So we must trust God. In fact, it's on screen this idea of trusting God. To trust God is to believe that he knows best. So in other words, when scriptures teach you something, the best thing for you to do is follow those biblical teachings and apply them to your lives. You're not smarter than God. I have another friend who is a Pentecostal preacher. He deals with a different group of people, and he says it like this. You're too stupid to do the right thing, so you need to listen to God. Now, I would never say that, but I know us. We are stubborn. We're intellectual. We're accomplished. We're intelligent. And it's easy for us to think that our way is probably better than God's because God is old-fashioned. No. Evil is sometimes very modern and up-to-date. One of the interesting things about the church at Theatira is that it was still doing some good things. And on screen is this idea that we must maintain a focus on ministry even when we struggle. The church at Theatira was struggling. And by the way, they knew it. Those sincere in the faith knew that there was this element in the church that was wrong. They knew who Jezebel was. They knew the situation. They couldn't fix it. So you know what they did? They did ministry. Amazing, isn't it? Sometimes we get so wrapped up in how we feel about things that we just back off and no longer do the things that God wants us to do. If a church is fighting, they stop ministry. If there's something going on in a culture and it scares them or makes them uncomfortable, they back off from ministry. The church at Thyatira, though, was doing well. Look at verse 19 again, still in chapter 3, verse 19, or chapter 2. I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance, and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. So the church was still doing the ministry they've been doing all along. So even though they weren't getting along, so even though people were ignoring biblical teachings, even though there were a group of people who were causing problems, people still worked together. 
kind of an odd thing for churches to do because normally, like I said, when we're fussing, we don't do much. But in spite of their fusses, in spite of Jezebel's pagan influence, they were doing good ministry. So this is something we have to pay attention to. Jesus acknowledges the good and the bad. One of the things that Jesus is smart enough to do, and we would do well to learn this, is you can't condemn people because they're not perfect. The church at Thyatira was far from perfect. But he still commended them for good things. In fact, almost all these churches were doing something well in spite of their problems. This is how you judge churches. This is how you discern people. This is how you look at yourself in the mirror. Is this wrong or right? If it's wrong, fix it. Repent of sin and turn God's way. But if there's something good in life or something that a church or a person is doing right, acknowledge that too. In our culture, we're struggling with it, aren't we? If you agree with someone's politics, they're wonderful, no matter what. If you disagree with someone's politics, they're horrible, no matter what. Nothing could be further from the truth. Here's a hard truth. You don't know everything. The fact that you believe something doesn't mean the people that disagree with you are evil. There are people that disagree with you on anything. And they're good people too. Don't fall for the evil that divides us. Jesus commended the Thyatiras because they understood that. You don't get to judge people because they disagree with you. You can disagree and love each other. Look at any married couple that's been there 10 or 15 or 20 or 50 years. They've learned to love someone that disagrees with them. That is the model, people. Jesus loves us even when we disagree, even when we challenge, even when we resist. One last thought on screen. God's people are to trust the teaching guns of God's word and apply them to our lives. Regardless of the ways people react, let us be faithful to him. So your job isn't necessarily to judge others, discern between right and wrong, teach truth, challenge those that teach false things, but keep on doing ministry. So Jesus said, listen, you're doing some good things right. Keep doing those things and take care of those things that you're doing wrong. A good model, isn't it? Again, God's word, always relevant, always challenging, always correcting. Let me encourage you, listen to scripture, discern right from wrong, love people, Teach the truth. Nate's going to come and lead us in a hymn of invitation and commitment. Let me challenge you to be the people that God has called you to be. Not always easy. You have to think. Would you stand with me, please, as Nate leads us?
Deacon Nate. Mike's going to come and lead us in a closing prayer. Remember that next Sunday night we'll have deacons meeting and business meeting. Plan to come that if you would. We do it socially distanced. We're all appropriate about all those things. And so let me encourage you to come. It won't go on too long because we try to limit those times. So, so come if you can, all right? Mike, would you lead us? Go. Keep and protect us from harm. And Father, help us to do a good deed this week. Maybe say something nice to someone or just do something good for them. And help us to do it in the name of Jesus. Amen.